Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this is Road Signs. And now here's your host, Michael Fries. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the 2023 season. Before we dive into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to Transport Topics, where you can receive exclusive access to our top 100 lists, quarterly magazines, and other news surrounding the trucking industry. To subscribe, visit ttn.ws slash ttsubscribe. You can also text ttsubscribe to 571-622-0001 to become an official member of Transport Topics. That's 571-622-0001. After a year of major business moves and political uncertainty finding their way into the headlines of transport topics, we want to use this episode to see what's ahead for the trucking industry. Since we're at the beginning of 2023, we'll ask the question, where are the industry trends that will emerge in 2023? To answer that question, we'll speak with two of our Transport Topics reporters who have spent plenty of time in their respective areas. We'll speak with our congressional reporter, Eugene Malero, about the happenings of the new Congress and how it will all shape out later in the program. But first, we'll hear what's ahead for the industry with our business reporter, Connor Wolf. Welcome back to the podcast, Connor. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you back again and, and back as our first guest for the 2023 season. Uh, so... Um, as we get into this new year, Connor, I know you've done a lot of reporting on the business side of things, specifically the mergers and acquisition activity that's going on in the industry. And, and it has been busy for 2022 and, and years prior. But I mean, in your reporting, there, there, there seems to be some signs of a slowdown. I mean, even though they're still going on, um, some things um, might be uh, sort of uh, flat. I wouldn't say flatlining, but, but kind of simmering. To, to the explosion that we had last year. What, what does your reporting tell us about that? Yeah, uh, completely right. And uh, yeah, it, um, uh, what's basically happening is when I say a slowdown um, in my reporting, I think people need to keep in mind this is coming off of an incredibly busy 2022 and 2021. So uh, what we're expecting uh, this year and uh, potentially into the future is still a very active market. Uh, it's just the conditions are changing a little bit that um, that are indicating that it may not be as active as um, as the last couple of years, which has just been ridiculous. And uh, part of that is um, a changing in factors, as I said. So um, since pretty much the start of the pandemic, we've had the cost of capital because of low interest rates uh, has um, has been low and easily um, accessible. Uh, we've had issues um, like a, the driver shortage and just labor shortage in general across the transportation space uh, that has always been 
pretty bad, um, but since the pandemic has reached record uh, levels, and then obviously we had the equipment shortage, and then a bunch of other factors that really drove um, M&A. And basically, the way that works is um, if, um, if you have access to capital um, and you have people who want to sell um, uh, for whatever reason, maybe they've been in the business for 30 years, and it's time to retire and the pandemic kind of pushed them across that line because they're like, this is a stressful job and it's made even more stressful because of the pandemic. Time to retire. So they want to sell their business. Um, you have buyers very um, interested in buying. Um, but what was very interesting is unlike years before the pandemic, when if you're just a good business, you're going to be attractive to uh, buyers. Um, what ended up happening is even underperforming businesses uh, were um, were attractive to buyers simply because they had equipment and they had labor. So you can have you could have been the worst carrier in the world, and you had assets that people wanted. Um, so basically, from um, it was a perfect storm uh, from. Uh, the buyer perspective and the seller perspective. From the seller perspective, they were getting high evaluations no matter what. Uh, if they were a good business, they were getting really good evaluations. And if they were a bad business, uh, they were still getting pretty good evaluations. Um, and then from the buyer side, um, uh, buying just made sense because they wanted the equipment. Uh, they wanted um, the people. And then also the other factors that had nothing to do with the pandemic, uh, such as uh, just wanting to diversify and stuff like that. Uh, factors that you would normally see in any given year were heightened and intensified uh, simply because um, uh, people, businesses kind of realized during the pandemic that if they are singularly focused, uh, that is a bad idea. Um, because uh, we saw how certain lines, uh, certain verticals were doing really well during the pandemic, uh, refer for, for an example, because of the vaccine rollout, while others like uh, auto manufacturing um, uh, carriers that are focused on auto parts and, and the auto industry were not doing uh, that well. So a lot of carriers and a lot of logistics firms realized that diversification was key to their continued success so that if one vertical or one line uh, was uh, not performing for whatever reason, uh, they would have another one that they could shift their resources to uh, and enhance. Um, so those were all factors that were driving it. Because of the pandemic, pretty much being over at this point, obviously it still exists. The coronavirus still exists and we have variants and, and all that stuff. And there's still concern. There's still a health, public health issue out there. But generally speaking, when you talk about um, society and you talk about the economy, things are relatively back to normal, except for those permanent step functions, such as the shift to e-commerce that, um, that was enhanced during the pandemic, but is probably not going to go away as the pandemic simmers. So we're in a new normal, obviously, but we're in a normal nonetheless. We're not in the heat of the pandemic anymore. And with that, those factors that were driving a lot of the M&A activity are starting to settle down and starting to... Um, uh, uh, become normalized as well. I want I want to stop stop you right there, uh, Connor. Um, you know, you know, you you just explained just sort of what drived 
um, this this surgence of of M and A activity, um, and you know, and that's been going on, you know, as you said, for for years and pretty much the first three quarters of of this last year. But but you know, as as we had mentioned in the beginning in any reporting, there have been signs of slowing, and that that M and A activity well is. I wouldn't say running dry, but the, the the water is getting low. I mean, is that is that a good analogy to to, to use in this in this instance? Uh, well, yes, um, and and basically the the way to understand that is to understand what we're coming off of, and um, and yes, because of this normalization we're seeing um, with the pandemic, that's affecting the M and A activity because those factors that were driving it the last few years uh, are starting to settle down as well. Um, and then we have additional factors on top of that, such as interest rates rising makes the cost of capital even higher, which makes it harder for the buyer to do a deal. Um, another thing is that um, because uh, things like the driver shortage is still a problem, but is not as big a problem, the latest estimates from the American Trucking Associations uh, showed that um, it went from a peak, an all-time high of 80,000 last uh, last year to uh, 78,000, um, according to their most recent updated numbers. It's still high. 78,000 is still a big shortage, but it's nowhere near uh, as high as it was. That 2,000 makes a big difference. And so the driver shortage isn't as bad. The equipment issue um, has been pretty much resolved because we're starting to get semiconductor sh uh, chips into the market and stuff like that. So those factors are no longer uh, driving high evaluations for underperforming businesses or just high evaluations for businesses in general. Um, so that makes um, uh, some of the sellers, the carriers, a uh, little bit more hesitant to sell as well. So you have a situation where buyers are are still interested. They're just not as interested. And you have sellers that are going, well, a year ago, I could have gotten a much better evaluation. Um, what happened to that? Now I'm less interested in selling. Um, and then, as I said, the cost of capital is also higher as well, and that's going to affect it, um, what buyers are willing to pay as well. Um, however, with all that being said, um, there's still a lot of activity and there's still indications that there's going to be a lot of activity this year, just not as much as the last couple of years. And the reasons for that is, one, uh, some of those issues are still relevant. Um uh, in terms of the driver shortage and equipment shortage, just not as big. And two, the lesson that I mentioned before about diversification of, of profiles, um, uh, uh, getting into more lanes, getting into more verticals, that's not forgotten easily. Uh, carriers, logistics firms, and just the, um, the financiers that represent them remember that. It, they remember how easy it was to go out of business or to have a really tough few months um, if you were too focused on one vertical. And so that factor is still driving some M&A activity because people are still in the process of trying to diversify and trying to get into more verticals and also into other industries. You see a lot of focus on um, intermodal and different cross sections with where uh, truck the trucking industry can kind of merge into other types of transportation and other things like that. Um, so that's basically what's going on. We, we still um, are likely to see a lot of activity this year. 
just not as much as the last couple of years. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because the last couple of years have just been absolutely crazy. Um, though from a seller perspective, I'm sure that, um, that a bunch of, a bunch of carriers that were looking to sell, uh, are, but didn't are kind of regretting, um, not getting, um, uh, not getting the higher valuations. Uh, but then on top of that, even those carriers that were looking to sell but just were holding off for whatever reason, um, some of them may be, um, uh, may be no longer interested in selling but, um, because of the lower evaluations, but some of them still are interested in selling. Like if you were, if you were a CEO and you were committed to retirement, then that's what you want to do. From time to time, an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive, a resource readers can turn to, a transport topic special report. We're turning our attention to another big issue, electrification and the key factors that will drive this industry trend. In every case, we're working to provide our readers with information, analysis, and clarity on key issues confronting fleets. One comprehensive resource packed with insights that can give you the edge. Transport Topics invites you to learn more about our special reports. To reserve your copy of the latest special report, visit ttn.ws forward slash electrification. I, I kind of want to really hone in on that particular point, Connor, with those right now sort of kind of in that gray area, you know, where you kind of you had that surge of um, surgence of M&A activity. But now it's it's simmering, but it's still going on. And it's still a viable option for, for, for those folks. What is the factor that you've been hearing that um, what's that one threshold that that companies need to uh, get over to you know, make it a go when it comes to uh, having that particular activity? Well, it's very individualistic. Those people, uh, those carriers, those business owners that were 100 percent um, ready to sell, um, they were they were 100 percent committed. They already sold. Um, they sold the last couple of years. Um, the people that um, that are uh, selling now or potentially selling this year, they were the ones that were maybe on the fence about it or maybe leaning towards it um, and were interested in it but maybe weren't 100% in and we're starting to see a bit of a spillover effect into this year, uh, basically the ones who didn't do it quite yet, but now they're ready to do it. And the reasons for that are incredibly individualistic. Um, you know, maybe you were thinking of retirement, um, but you wanted to put in a couple extra years because you really, really like working in the transportation industry and you felt like you had a good couple years left. Um, maybe you were kind of betting on the market and uh, wondering if evaluations were going to get even higher. Uh, whatever the reason, it's very individualistic as these things often are, because you're talking about selling your business, uh, which to a lot of these people are like their children. They, they built them from the ground up or they bought them when they were small and built them into something bigger you know, those sort of things. And, and because of that, it's hard to say what a particular threshold is, except to say that, um, that when evaluations are high, 
when the market is is good, it may, it pushes people over the finish line that we're at least considering it. And uh, this year, we're we're probably going to get some spillover effect of people that weren't one hundred percent committed, uh, but now they're they're ready uh, for whatever reason. That being said, with the the activity of M and A not being uh, well, not expected to be robust as it is in as it was in 2022. I mean, well, well, is there a chance that it could be as robust and it could be as, uh, as strong as it was last year, but just for particularly different reasons? Oh yeah, mo- most uh, most certainly because like anything in business, um, we don't know uh, what could, what could happen this year. We could have um, major upsets that completely change the market, um, that completely change people's perspective of the market or whatever it is uh, that we just weren't expecting. So, yeah, this year um, could be uh, an even bigger year than 2022. However, I think that is probably unlikely um, because, as I said, 2022 was just a ridiculously busy year. Um, so you're, um, if this year was going to be even busier, it, it would be surpassing an already ridiculous year. Uh, and two, I think just the fact that um, uh, that the cost of capital is so much higher now, um, I think that's just going to that's a that's a pretty solid finite thing that we know impacts markets, that we know impacts M&A markets, particularly uh, no matter what industry you're talking about. Obviously, we're talking about the trucking industry, uh, but when the cost of capital is is so much higher, uh, that puts a definite damper on it. And until the Fed, um, and, the, and the Fed doesn't look like um, they're interested in lowering interest rates. If anything, they're going to increase them uh, to kind of uh, scave off uh you know, the threat of recession and stuff like that, which is their prerogative. That's what they're designed to do. Um, At the very least, we're not going to get a lowering of interest rates. um, And more likely so, we're going to get increased interest rates this year. And that's just going to put a damper on the buyer side. And if buyers can't get as much money, they can't offer as much in the valuation. um, And that makes sellers uh, less interested and it also could just make the buyers not interested in buying uh, because they can't get the, the capital needed for the type of um, acquisition that they're looking for. I think that's a good place to to leave this conversation. I mean, if we, we talk about this a little bit further, uh, I'll, I have to ask you for your crystal ball. So, so uh, but, uh, but 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 seriously, Connor, uh, you know, thank you for coming on and explaining this very, very, uh, you know, difficult and, and just sort of ever so moving topic of M&A activity. Uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having Michael. As always, it was a pleasure. Transport topics in one word, authoritative. Knowledge. Outstanding. Reliable. We asked transport topics readers to describe us in one word. Informative. Informative. Integrity. The Bible. Authoritative. The authority. Transportation information, that's two, but I, I, I gotta have it both. Physically large. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's two words. Visit influence.ttnews.com forward slash say hello to find out what they're talking about. Welcome back to Road Signs. We spoke with Connor Wolf about the MA activity that's going on in the trucking industry. Now we're going to learn what's going on at Capitol Hill with our next guest, 
congressional reporter Eugene Valero. Hey, Eugene, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year as well. I just want to inform you, you know, since we are in the beginning of the year, I think you have like a week to say Happy New Year to everyone. I think after the sixth or seventh, it, it's, uh, you know, that's the cutoff. That's the cutoff date. You You're know, absolutely so, right. I agree with that. So we can we, we will say Happy New Year to to our hearts content for just a, just a couple more days. So yep. <laughs> but but, uh, but however, we are here to talk about everything congressional, especially when it comes to the trucking industry. And if if um, for those who aren't uh, that uh, politically astute, uh, you know, there is a new party rule in Washington right now. The Republicans are. Um, or in congressional uh, power, as one would say, uh, and and with that, because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, I would say consternation when when it comes to uh, focusing on the leader right now. But we're we're not here to discuss not to discuss that um, specifically. Uh, we're here to talk about just kind of the, the the oversight when it comes to the transportation industry, and with the Republican rule, there, there comes new leadership. So my question to you, Eugene, is just in, in the beginning of things, as the, the leadership right now is being forged, what does that mean for the, the leadership in these uh, transportation committees? Yeah, so that's a good point. Let's, um, let's operate on the working premise that the Republicans maintain the leadership of you know, the, the transportation committees and other policymaking authorities in the House of Representatives. With that said... Uh, the likely chairman of the transportation panel is Congressman Sam Graves of Missouri, and he is one who is a he he has been a trusted figure in transportation circles for about two decades. He served in a ranking capacity on that committee, and he has been very integral on the aviation subcommittee, the highway subcommittee as well as the uh, oversight jurisdictions of the overall committee. He, um, he's a person who has promoted water infrastructure policy, as well as looking to maintain the, you know, ensure connectivity uh, and productivity along our supply chains way before, uh, you know, talking about the supply chain was a cool thing in Washington. So, but with that said, Michael, um, while there's an expectation that a chairman, Sam Graves, will be able to advance, uh, you know, policies on water infrastructure primarily and maybe something on FEMA, uh, the, the priority, my reporting has really pointing to the main focus of the transportation panel and the overall House leadership is going to be to turn, um, you know, turn oversight of the Biden administration up to level 11. And I know that's a reference to Spinal Tap, an 80s movie, <laughs> but they're going to go oversight all the way. And for transportation, that really means the oversight, in-depth oversight. I know I'm all over the place right now, but there has been already oversight under Democrats of this infrastructure law, but the Republicans are pledging to really ramp up the oversight of the implementation of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Now, now with that, you know, in the the um, of course, the, the the gains that the White House has been promoting very heavily since the passage of the uh, of that act, um, are, are Republicans there to, I mean, oversight or, or, or are they looking to deconstruct that that act and, and kind of take some of the uh, of the bite out of it? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, there, the correct answer thus far appears to be a little bit of both. Uh, in that, when it comes to policies that the Republican leadership in the House will categorize as progressive with a capital P, they will look to chip away at that in in the infrastructure landscape at the federal level. Now, they're not going to have a partner over on the Senate side. So, you know, the speakership, the chairman, Sam Graves, they can, you know, put together legislation chipping away on the infrastructure law. But when it gets over to the Senate, they're not going to have a reliable partner that will sign off on that and send that over to the White House. So it will be mostly a formality, um, you know, uh, and then just really playing to your base, uh, you know, that you're standing up against any progressive ideals, um, you know, give or take. Now, on the flip side, there's um, the part of this oversight is going to be an expedition. So they're going, you know, the Republican panels are going to proceed with looking at all the agencies at DOT, FMCSA, FHWA, you know, the Federal Railroad Administration. Uh, There's usual suspects on the Republicans' radar. Amtrak and transit are two of them and climate change. So whatever they're they find uh, and part of their oversight expeditions that they, you know, may bring consternation, then they can say, okay, this policy here at the Federal Highway Administration, we don't like. We don't like this policy at the Federal Railroad or with Amtrak, you know, so then, you know, let's have an oversight hearing, let's present over legislation. But then again, you, you funnel that legislation through the chamber, it reaches over to the Senate side, and it's, like I said, it's very unlikely that a Senate Democratic majority will sign off on anything that would chip away uh, at the infrastructure law, especially since the infrastructure law, you know, has been touted by the bipartisan leadership over on the Senate. Uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and President Biden are touting infrastructure dollars this month that are going, that were approved in the infrastructure law that are going to repair the Brent Spence Bridge. You know, with, uh, you know, with that, you know, as you were just saying, just uh, the the proposed order of things uh, when the Republicans, uh, you know, have their role and, and everyone gets sworn in and in, in, in their committee seats. Um, that, I mean, is, is that going to be uh, just the, the harbinger of things to come when um, it's just going to be saber rattling versus, uh, you know, actually trying to get some policy in there? I mean, is that is that the, the, the chasm that... Um, that that we're going to be uh, accustomed to for the next two years? Yeah. So, you know, these policy, these oversight hearings on Capitol Hill, especially in the modern era, have a tendency to, for lack of a better term, go off the rails, especially if you have um, some members of Congress from either side, Republicans and Democrats, who get very passionate about a certain issue So let's take, for instance, climate change. Uh, If, um, you know, if there's an oversight hearing at the Transportation Committee that is very focused on climate change or the issue of climate change comes up and you're a member of Congress who's anti doing anything on climate change, you're, you're likely to, you know, draw attention to your viewpoint and that 
that viewpoint may gain most of the debate because you'll have your opponent. You create now you create a um, you know a debate at the committee, and you your focus on oversight goes now into politics rather than policy. So, you know, to your point on policymaking, I know for a fact my reporting is really pointing to the the fact that policymaking is something that you know the especially the moderate Republicans want to achieve in this upcoming Congress. Uh, but policymaking, the 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 arena for passing legislation and for considering you know, anything over on the House and even the Senate. The Senate has a it's very limited window. So how you dedicate your time, you know, how much oxygen you dedicate, you know, on the floor for a certain issue, you know, it's very, very um, limited. So if you, you know, if a party really goes all in on, on oversight and that tilts over to politics, you leave very little room for policymaking. You know, um, you know, with that, let's kind of get into policy making. You know, um, you know, earlier uh, last year, I, I could say, let, I could say, is it is it too uh, is, is it too premature <laughs> no. to say last year since it was no, it's accurate. Yeah, so, you can do it. Twenty twenty two. So, you know, last year in in August, uh, this past August, I'll say that this past this past August, you know, there was um you know, uh, the Congressional uh, Autonomous Vehicle Caucus. You know, that was something bipartisan. Um, you know, speaking of policy. Um, that was, you know, put into place, you know, to expand access to autonomous vehicles. Um, it, will, will something like that still uh, hold well in this new Congress? I mean, it was just formed six months ago, but it's, I mean, it will, will um, caucuses like that and, and, and just having, uh, I think, the autonomous-centric policies, you know, that seems to be something that, that, that brings the Republicans and Democrats together for, for different reasons, but... Will ideas like that, um, you know, will that uh, resolve uh, in any type of you know, solid policy for, for this particular session? There is a very strong likelihood that an autonomous vehicle legislation will be introduced on the House side. And that bill could very well pass out of the chamber and reach the Senate side. This legislation is very likely uh, to pave the way for a national framework for autonomous technologies, especially for automated, you know, cars and trucks. Probably, uh, there is Senate buy-in for such legislation. The White House has really expressed interest on this type of technology. We have arrived at a moment in our country where autonomous vehicles are not a thing of sci-fi. They're actually a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yes, there is a, um, an expectation that this type of bill could really be uh, get a lot of energy on Capitol Hill, House and Senate. However, Michael, uh, we are living in a very politically active environment at the national level and what has happened uh, in recent years is that the emotions of a very high energy political environment that that is capable of deterring or eclipsing work on other pieces of legislation 
I'm not even presenting a hypothetical to give you a real example. If you are, you know, proceeding with impeachment of a judge or even the president, then that party pursuing impeachment very likely alienates a vast uh, amount of the opposition party. So now the opposition party is unlikely to work with you on very basic bills, like funding bills for the government, which is what we saw with Republicans and Democrats when the Democrats were pursuing impeachment of the former president. Uh, so that is, you know, that is the fine line, you know, with Congress right now is, you know, how much energy do you, so House Republicans are, there have been members of the House Republican caucus who have really said the I word impeachment of President Biden or, or a cabinet secretary. So if that is the case, you know, how much appetite is there from the Democrats who will be the opposition party or the minority party to work with Republicans on autonomous vehicles legislation, not to use a hypothetical, a real life example, if that, if the same people, you know, in the majority are going after your guy, you know, that kind of thing. So the politics do get in the way, it can get very messy, uh, even though policy, even though there is a bipartisan agreement on some big ticket bipartisan issues, such as autonomous vehicles. You know, um, before I get you out of here, Eugene, you know, you were talking about, you know, just the, the, the hyper political tension that's been in this town of DC for quite some time. Um, you, we can kind of get into that a little bit, and it, and it really bleeds into you know transportation affairs, uh, especially when it comes to the southern border, which is a major freight corridor for our, our country. And you know the, Repo- the House Republicans uh, also have plans in that regard too. Uh, through your reporting, could you explain what uh, they they want to do in, in terms of uh, just the management of the of the southern border? Yeah. So the big. Um... The, the big focus for the House Republican leadership right now is to replace the leadership at the Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, do away with Secretary Mayorkas, bring in a new secretary who is able to commit to this caucus that they, he, she or he would um, be, in their terms, in their words, more aggressive, you know, in deterring or minimizing you know, illegal crossings at the southern border, uh, as well as, uh, you know, getting the Biden administration to commit additional resources of, you know, of all kind, not only manpower, but also the, you know, federal executive rules and, you know, the strength of the federal uh, government, you know, to address illegal crossings. Um, You know, that is something that that debate and that uh, emphasis on you know the southern border has the potential to impact or affect uh, you know international commerce because you could be in a situation where the cross country jurisdictions um, you know may be caught the the government of Texas and the government of you know border towns in Mexico with Texas border towns may be caught in the mix of federal jurisdiction uh, and all that, you know, could slow down the movement of freight. And, you know, and and that is something that the federal government and these countries have sought to protect, you know, with treaties, 
and other partnerships uh, because they, 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 and, you know, supply chain resilience because they do recognize, you know, the economic importance of smooth commerce between the countries. So that is a, the southern border is something that is high on the priority list for the House Republican Caucus. But, Michael, I go back again to Senate Democrats kind of playing referee or even goalie, you know, holding the line on a lot of the Biden administration policies and making sure that, you know, they remain in place for the next two years at least. Well, it sounds like that 2023 is going to be entertaining, if not productive year for 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 the uh for the for the new congress um you know and with this whole year i guess you could say this is the the calm uh well yeah this is the calm before the storm of next year when we were going to be talking about presidential elections and and all that jazz so i i guess with all of the the the, the trouble and drama that's ahead for this year this is going to be uh totally mild when it comes to next year so so yeah you're right this is going to be this year is going to be the setup for the political environment next year which um for both parties i you know there's an expectation there's going to be a lot of fireworks oh yeah and in a town that that is so used to political fireworks it'll just be a Thursday. So <laughs> Exactly. You're right. That's right. <laughs> so, but, um, but with that, uh, you know, thank you very much. Uh, Eugene Malero, he is our congressional reporter for Transport Topics. Eugene, always a pleasure to have you on. I have so much fun when I talk to you about politics and, and the things that were going on in Congress. And you get another Happy New Year. <laughs> yes. There we go. Happy New Year to you as well. <laughs> Did you know you can ask Alexa to open Transport Topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with Transport Topics. Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. What are the industry trends that will emerge in 2023? As we heard from our guests, after a year of major business moves and political uncertainty, 2023 is poised to see more of it. However, as Connor stated, on the mergers and acquisition side, buyers and sellers alike are proceeding with more caution as recession fears mature into full-blown anticipation. Despite it all, the outlook is still positive. On the legislative side, a Republican-led majority is currently providing some uncertainty as leadership is struggling to be forged. Once the dust settles, the lawmaking path for a transportation agenda, as well as governance, will become much clearer. As Eugene mentioned, the new congressional session will be filled with much political drama that is sure to play itself out in 2023. Make sure to watch this space. If you enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to reach out to the Road Signs team on Twitter at TT Road Signs or reach me at Michael V. Freeze. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. Also, let us know how we're doing by texting TT Survey to 571-622-0001. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Michael Freeze. Thank you for listening. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more 
and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.